Welcome to Risking Enchantment, a podcast about art, beauty, and the Catholic faith. Hosted by Rachel Sherlock. Hello and welcome to this Christmas episode of Risking Enchantment. Joining me is Phoebe Watson. Merry Christmas! It's such a joy to have Phoebe here. and she, I'm excited to be here. I discussed recording this episode with a couple of different people, but it turns out the only person who is possibly around in the run-up to Christmas is the person who lives with you. And you can <laughs> apparently drag in to record a podcast kind of last minute. I'm very glad to get my say in this one. I know, I think you're actually kind of relieved. Yes. <laughs> It makes sense for you to have recorded it with someone else. Yeah. But it's definitely one that I was like, but I want to. <laughs> well, then I'm, I'm super thrilled to be here recording this with you. The plan is for this episode to come out very shortly after Christmas. It'll certainly be in the Christmas season, according to Catholics. I believe it should be coming out the 27th. And we are recording this on Gaudate Sunday. Mm-hmm. So we're in full Advent swing, but... Which, for those of you who don't know, that's the Sunday when the pink candle is lit on the Advent week. And it's the Sunday in Advent for rejoicing, which means that it's the ideal day in Advent for us to record a Christmas podcast all about carols. And we decided to pick the topic of carols for this podcast just because I think there's such a unique part of the Christmas liturgical experience. And obviously there are hymns and there are musical settings for all kinds of different events in, in the liturgical calendar. And I'm hoping to go see some of the passion masses that are set to music for, for Good Friday this coming year. But I don't think there's any other time in the calendar so associated with music. Yeah, I think it's become so like caught up with Christmas even to the full secular world. Yeah. Like, if you think of any Christmas movie, you always have carols somewhere, mm-hmm. or... And it's not just the like, Christmas music that's kind of taken over from carols in a certain way. Yeah. But you also have, like, the stereotypical choir, or... Yeah, I, th- I think certainly it's one of the few religious or liturgical practices that people who are more secular, like, refuse to give up. Like, they're just so attached to it. And I think it's a really beautiful thing that it sort of transcends all of the toings and goings of, of modern times, that everyone loves singing carols. Yeah. So, yeah, we just decided that what better topic to talk about than than carols. As we know, there's a lot of toing and froing, especially in Catholic communities, about whether carols should be allowed at all before Christmas, how and when we should be singing them. But if we are allowed to have an Advent day where we talk about carols, it is certainly Gaudate Sunday. It's appropriate. But I have to say, if we were being very honest, Phoebe and I don't keep too strictly to the no carols before Christmas rule. Not really at all. (laughs) I mean, we tried at least the first week of Advent to mainly have more reflective carols. Yes. And incorporate some of the, like, some of the great Advent hymns. But I think I always find that if you avoid all carols until Christmas, you just end up avoiding carols entirely. Yeah, because the rest of the world has moved on by Stephen's Day, so Sadly. it kind of skips over it. And I think it's also, especially for us, we both go home to our families for Christmas and we leave behind our community of Catholic friends in Dublin. And so certainly I don't tend to arrive back in Dublin until after the Christmas season. Well, you always go away for New Year as well. Yes, I'll I'll be joining some friends in in the UK as usual for New Year's. But yes, so it means that, you know, I leave shortly before Christmas and I come back when the Christmas season is technically over. So if you don't do anything Christmassy beforehand, you just miss 
every aspect of Christmas in Dublin. So with that in mind, we were going to start by talking about a particular carol concert that we attended near the start of Advent on the 8th. Yeah, on the Sunday evening of the 8th. Yes, and again, we picked one that was sort of more reflective and more a little bit more sombre, a little bit more Adventy. The particular concert that we decided to go to was the the chamber choir. They had a concert called A Babe is Born, which had a selection of Christmas and also less seasonal music. Yeah, I mean, they sang Salve Regina and a couple of other Marian ones that were still very fitting in a Christmas Advent context. Yeah, but weren't um, specifically Christmassy. It yeah, was, exactly. It was really lovely because it, obviously it was the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Yeah, and it was also in Christchurch Cathedral, which is the Protestant pro-cathedral in Dublin. Yeah, so it was a little Catholic victory for us to have Marian hymns sung on that day in that church. But we had a, a really wonderful time. It was a wonderful... It was sele- so beautiful. It was a wonderful selection of music. They had some new compositions from one of their singers, Owen Desmond, and he did a wonderful job. We, we're going to be talking a lot about the settings of the different carols and it's just very refreshing to find something that's modern that really knowledgeably draws on on the tradition that it's pulling from and yeah he took like a rewriting of old medieval styles or carols and also kept a lot of traditional style lyrics even if they were his own lyrics Mm-hmm. they still had the truth of Christmas in them. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't in any way shying away from the reality. Like, it wasn't like, oh, we're going to write a modern day carol that's all watered down Yeah. to not express the true faith, but actually to convey that faith and mix old tradition with new counterparts, like they were fading in and out. Or... Yeah, it, it was certainly a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a great evening. And like we said, it kind of started us thinking about the place of, of carols in the season. And like I mentioned earlier, that like the particular place that carols hold in Christmas above all other seasons. And when I, when I started thinking about this podcast, it made me start thinking, what is it about this season that makes it so tied up with music? And I began to sort of reflect on how the Bible actually informs us of this. Like you could even start an Advent and talk about the Magnificat and this great song that Mary sings or even go even further back to the Annunciation and you think of like the Ave Maria as as being a a song and then also when the Gloria in Excelsis Deo yeah that is the most powerful image of Christmas music of so many of our carols express that great host of angels Mm -hmm. singing to proclaim the glory of God and his miraculous incarnation yeah and i think there's something beautiful that we too then sing to proclaim that truth yeah exactly i know there's a quote from benedict the 16th on one of his midnight mass sermons where he talks about this he says there is another verse from the christmas story on which i should like to reflect with you the angel's hymn of praise which they sing out following the announcement of the newborn savior glory to god in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased God is glorious, God is pure light, the radiance of truth and love. He is good, he is true goodness, goodness par excellence. The angels surrounding him begin by simply proclaiming the joy of seeing God's glory. Their song radiates the joy that fills them. In their words, it is as if we were hearing the sounds of heaven. There is no question of attempting to understand the meaning of it all, but simply the overflowing happiness of seeing the pure splendour of God's truth and love. And I just love that idea of music being from heaven and this sort of overflowing of joy and 
Yeah, that's um, so beautiful. The whole season feels really full of that, where, you know, because obviously the divine is coming in contact with the mortal in, in the child Jesus, that as God himself is breaking through this kind of space that like all of heaven starts maybe trickling down in a way that you're yeah, getting like glimpses the music of and silence of heaven yes to paraphrase yes <laughs> yes exactly um but also i think there's something beautiful in using music to express that mystery yeah that it is such a profound mystery of god incarnate as man yeah and that's such a mind-blowing thing that we kind of just our minds shy away from it. We just gloss over it and pretend it's all normal because we can't fathom that profound humility yeah. of God is. Yeah, I remember it really struck me that when I started to kind of grasp, it's funny, what I'm saying is you start to grasp how big a mystery it is. You know, when yeah. you take something for granted for so long, you get this story when you were a child and you love it, but it just strikes you as normal because you've known it for so long. But I remember when someone was pointing out to me that like, Christ had to break into not only space, but time. That, yeah, like, the was... infinite breaking into the finite. Yeah, and I, I love that. And of course, who who better to turn to when we're talking about paradoxes than Chesterton? Oh, absolutely. Come on. <laughs> so this is in his, I think it's called The Christmas Ballad. He has a collection of essays and poems, and it's it's a book called Spirit of Christmas. But it says, it is in the old Christmas carols the carols which date from the Middle Ages, that we find not only what makes Christmas poetic and soothing and stately, but first and foremost what makes Christmas exciting. The exciting quality of Christmas rests, as do all other examples I have mentioned, on an ancient and admitted paradox. It rests upon the great paradox that the power and centre of the whole universe may be found in some seemingly small matter, that the stars in their courses may move like a moving wheel round the neglected outhouse of an inn. It is extraordinary to notice how completely this feeling of paradox of the manger was lost by the brilliant and ingenious theologians, and how completely it was kept in the Christmas carols. They at least never forgot that the main business of the story they had to tell was that the Absolute once ruled the universe from a cattle stall. Wow. Uh, there's no one better to talk about paradox than Chesterton, right? Yeah, that, that the Absolute once ruled the universe from a cattle stall. That's incredible. It's so good. I love it so much. And so I think that sense of carols having been almost like this... Thing passed down for so many generations that keeps the heart of, of what the Christmas story is about. Yeah, and I think we're going to talk a little bit later how they're so good at teaching that to us as well. Yeah. They're ones that we can come back to again and again and like see new layers of meaning in them. Exactly, yeah. And I love that he talks about what makes Christmas exciting because I think, again, it comes back to a paradox, but I think we're going to talk about this a little bit, which is that to me, the, one of the things I love about Christmas is this strong contrast you get between, you know, sort of like the stillness of nighttime, of the dark evenings, of a candle burning. There's like a, a quiet heart to Christmas, a juxtaposed against the busy flurry and the parties and the children ripping open presents and coming down to see their stockings in the morning, that those two things are completely both part of Christmas. Yeah, you've got this like frantic excitement and mm -hmm. then, yeah, the hushed stillness. And I think 
obviously we can so easily lose that hushed stillness. Yes. But we do do that stillness and injustice to think that it can't exist amidst and in spite of the busy flurriness as well. And that Christmas should be exciting. Yeah. Um, like That excitement is also an important part of Christmas. You also have so many parts of the story hurrying to that stillness. Like the shepherds, obviously. Exactly. Yeah. And I think we all have very fond memories of that kind of experience growing up. That's why you juxtapose Ding Dong Merrily with <laughs> Away in a Manger. Those two things are both perfectly part of Christmas. Absolutely. And then I think we were going to talk a little bit about what our memories of carols are before we go into our favourites. Yes. Yes. So for talking about our Christmas carols, we decided we were going to pick three of our favourites. I pushed to get more... But I was told no. <laughs> we could go on forever. And I'm like, even in my mind, I'm thinking of some of my absolute favourites that I won't have time to go through. But I think you'll you'll get the gist from us talking about how much, like, all of these carols played a big part in our childhoods and, and continued on into adulthood. But after that, then we're going to pick three each of our favourites and go into them in a little bit more detail and about why we think they have stuck with us in such a meaningful way. But, I mean, Phoebe, at the very least, seems to have lived in a world filled with carols. <laughs> I make it sound like it, don't I? Yes. Yeah, I guess I came from a very musical family. My mum ran the church choir in the local church of Ireland. So part of like that preparation for Christmas was her bringing all us three kids along to join that choir. Like It was a choir that only came together at Christmas. And one of the things I love so much about carols in that setting is that the choir might be leading it, but most often it's everybody singing. Mm. So you've got this quite a small church, like, packed for the carol service and everybody singing their hearts out, which for me is such a beautiful part of Christmas. And certainly our, our listeners, a lot of you guys are from Ireland, but there's a good few that aren't. And if you know Ireland at all, getting congregations to sing is... Yeah, in a Catholic context, congregations don't sing. I know, it's so painful. Like getting any group of people to sing in Ireland can be very difficult. Yeah, but... I realised I misspoke. The carol service, you'd have it absolutely packed. And yet because half of them were from the Catholic community... Mm -hmm. The singing was not out to the volume of, um, we also had this gorgeous midnight eve, like 11.30 at night, candlelit carol service that, yeah, everyone who came to that would usually just be from the Protestant community, mm -hmm. so they would all sing, and it yeah. would be pretty full, but the, like you could actually hear the difference in volume, despite... Like, yeah. the smaller number of people. Yeah, there's, um, there's just something about it, like, Church of Ireland singing all the way. Catholics in Ireland, pff, not a chance. <laughs> no, there are some masses that do the music well, but yeah, yeah, your typical mass in Ireland, it's like drawing blood from a stone. Except at Christmas. That is the one time, and that's why mm -hmm. I love it, that you do get your congregations to sing. And it is such a unifying and uplifting experience that you feel like you're with these people singing the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah, and that midnight carol service as well was such a magical time for me as a child. I remember, like, because it was on quite late, my parents, in the first couple of years, used to try and get us to go to bed for an hour before we went out. <laughs> uh, to, like, you just need to rest for a little bit. We know you won't sleep, but you need to rest. I mean, we might have been, like, 
9 or 10 for me anyway but also then that because it was like over Christmas Eve to Christmas morning mm -hmm. so we, we'd be watching the clock and then we'd like nudge each other in the pews the minute it hit 12 and like whisper happy Christmas to each other and then I always had fun at the end because my dad was the warden in the church so he was on fire safety alert because he got a load of candles mm -hmm. at the packed church and um, so he had like wet tea towels and things like that but he'd start from the back and I'd start from the front and would just like go around and blow out all the candles before anybody moved <laughs> <laughs> well it sounds so beautiful I, yeah. I have a lot of fond memories of Christmas Eve mass we have and again in Ireland I think it's a very Irish thing we have quote unquote midnight mass which <laughs> is often at like 8pm <laughs> I know ours was actually midnight I know I'm kind of jealous <laughs> but it's still beautiful and dark and that like eruption of music that feels like this great cacophony of beauty that happens just when you're kind of least expecting it in the middle of the night yeah I think there's loved. something beautiful about the carols at night as well mm -hmm. that you could like the candlelight and the music together yeah being the light and then I had fun but intense experiences. I was in a choir when I was a teenager, um, which we we took very seriously. We competed in competitions and all of these kinds of things. And we used to do two days of carol singing in the local shopping centre, which was actually outside. It was like a courtyard and it used to be so cold and we would spend all day singing. We used to raise so much money, but... Yeah, again, there's something about like being out in the elements and singing and persevering through the cold and seeing everyone go a path, getting their Christmas presents and being a part of that and singing into that, which was really beautiful. I, I, I loved it. There's so many contexts. Like I grew up singing carols at home. I think yeah. you, you did the same. Yeah, I think particularly in recent years, we've started singing carols a lot at home after Christmas. So like my sister would pull out her guitar or my mom would be at the piano and it's one of the few times my dad sings with the family mm -hmm. and to be honest me as well <laughs> because it's my brother, my sister and my mom who can actually sing in tune mm -hmm. and my dad and I just kind of model our way along. So, But then when it's Christmas carols, because we all know them, we can all sing them even yep. if we're not singing them perfectly but that doesn't matter. Yeah. And there's also been some beautiful times with like my elderly relatives that we've been able to sit around singing like when we went to see my grandparents one Christmas um, in England or another time when I think we had an elderly relative staying with us and we'd just got her piano. She just moved from her house to a nursing home mm -hmm. but we were able to sing Christmas carols on the piano that would have followed her from like before her husband died and that was like her husband would have played that piano and they would have sat around singing Christmas carols mm -hmm. and then they were then in our house sitting around singing Christmas carols. That's really beautiful. There's such a variety of ways to experience those carols and but in terms of like specific memories I think that actually maybe leads us into the first of my selected three carols which is In the Bleak Midwinter and I, I referenced this anecdote actually I believe in our first ever episode of Risking Enchantment all of like over a year ago now. Oh wow yeah I remember that actually the um, Advent one that we recorded as well. I think no I think it was in the very first one because yeah, it probably was because we were talking about our favorite like experiences of being in churches and uh, this was certainly one of mine which is that a couple of years ago in the middle of Christmas day it was quite a dark blustery rainy stormy day and we headed out in the middle of the day to go visit one of our favorite churches in our parish which is situated deep in a valley like it's a very narrow deep valley and it's quite an old church in fact because of its position it, it like actually survived I think the Cromwell persecutions because you just can't see it from the road it's really like 
hidden away. It's quite small and in fact it's very small and it's just one of our favourite churches and we arrived and it was open but the lights were essentially all off except for just a bulb or two in front of the, the crib and one in front of the statue of Mary. So it was just this dark, silent church that was being surrounded by wind and rain and the foliage is like right up against the windows and it just felt like this little eye of the storm in a way and uh, we all just sat there in prayer and and I sang in the bleak midwinter and it just felt so right and such a it's such a beautiful moment of, of Christmas that actually achieving that silent heart of Christmas in this space. And it's one of my favourite memories and that has been for a long time one of my favourite Christmas carols in the bleak midwinter. Um, so I was going to talk a little bit about that one. Are you going to start by reading it to us? Yes, of course. Yeah, I, I shall read it out. I think it's a relatively popular carol, especially in, in this part of the world, but it's it's worth refreshing our memories. We I don't think we're going to read the words to all of the carols, but for some that carols are one of those those genres where you tend to know the first verse and nothing beyond that. <laughs> or the first and the last, if you're lucky. <laughs> yes. I always find, I think it's really interesting that often in carols, the last verse turns from telling the story to a direct address to the audience mm. and uh, and to the, the congregation. I always like to watch out for that because it appears in a lot of carols. Here are the words to In the Bleak Midwinter. Obviously, it was written by Christina Rossetti, who is a famous Anglo-Catholic poet, and the, it was later set to music, so it reads quite well as a poem, obviously. But it goes, In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan, earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow, in the bleak midwinter long ago. Our God, heaven cannot hold him, nor earth sustain. Heaven and earth shall flee away when he comes to reign. In the bleak midwinter, a stable place sufficed, the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. Enough for him whom cherubim worship night and day, a breastful of milk and a manger full of hay. Enough for him whom angels fall down before, the ox and ass and camel which adore. Angels and archangels may have gathered there, cherubim and seraphim thronged the air, but only his mother in her maiden bliss worshipped the beloved with a kiss. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? I give him my heart. That's so beautiful. It's... I almost cried. <laughs> it's, it's so wonderful there's two musical settings there's um gustav holst and harold dark and obviously anything that has two options has a lot of contention around <laughs> it which one is the best personally the one that i grew up with was the gustav holst one and but both are beautiful I, I do think both are beautiful but there's something about the holst one which is more melancholic and more somber and i guess that's something that I really appreciate in it. I really like, I think you'll see maybe a little bit of the theme in the three that I've chosen in that they don't necessarily quite fit the bill in the way that you would expect. Like there's minor keys or there's haunting connotations or just things that aren't just cozy and happy and upbeat. Yeah, I think there's something about that kind of 
haunting melancholic that really stays with us, particularly at this time. Yes. Um, because it is so full of that excitement and good cheer and full of the good things of decorations and beauty, mm-hmm. and yet to weave in that kind of sombre melancholy mm-hmm. is such a powerful contrast. Yeah, and it reminds me, there's a wonderful essay by Hansers von Balthasar where he talks about, it's called Into the Dark with God, and it's about the Christmas season, but he talks about, <laughs> he's amazing, but he talks about this kind of, unsettling nature of the music of Christmas or rather the initial music of Christmas what we discussed with the angels so he says and while the angel is speaking thus to these poor frightened people he is joined by a vast number of others who unite in a gloria praising God in heaven's height and announcing the peace of God's goodwill to men on earth then we read the angels went away from them into heaven In all probability, the singing was very beautiful and the shepherds were glad to listen. Doubtless they were sorry when the concert was over and the performers disappeared behind heaven's curtain. Probably, however, they were secretly a little relieved when the unwanted light of divine glory and the unwanted sound of heavenly music came to an end and they found themselves once more in their familiar earthly darkness. They probably felt like shabby beggars who had suddenly been set in a king's audience chamber among courtiers dressed in magnificent robes and were glad to slip away unnoticed and take to their heels. But I love that kind of idea that it could be so beautiful but also so foreign and strange that it's a little bit unsettling. I love that contrast then that they're taking to their heels to seek the babe in a manger, yeah, which for them is a far more familiar setting. Yeah. So they, for for them, they're coming from this heavenly breaking through and mm-hmm. like terror. Yeah. To what they know, but what is actually far more mysterious, which yeah. is God made man. Well, you and Balthazar are thinking exactly the same way because that's what the essay goes on to talk about. Of course. But yeah, that this host of angels breaking through is just the beginning. <laughs> I love that kind of contrast of the melancholic and dark and mysterious and unsettling. Like, I just think when when we think of, like, earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Like, that's not inviting, but it is beautiful in a way that arrests us. Yeah, it is very portraying of that harsh landscape. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also very important for us to remember. Like, when we talk about Christ coming at winter, mm-hmm. it's into that harshness and I can't remember which carol it is now but it's into the hardness of our hearts yeah and into the winter of our lives that he comes I think and obviously there there are countless wonderful explorations of whether like was Christ born in in like a correlatory December on on the 25th and whether that's and uh, you know there's plenty of really interesting cases for and against and uh, and all of those things but in its simplest terms I think it just comes back to what is most fitting and of course Christ operates in the way that's most fitting and so whether it's kind of strictly true in practical terms there is something so unbelievably fitting about conceptualizing Christ coming into our lives in the middle of winter yeah and at the winter just after the winter solstice as well yes so and how there's that sense of time yeah 
the it, when we celebrate the birth of John the Baptist in the middle of the summer. That's beautiful. And then he grows less and less until Christ comes and he gets greater and greater. There's that wonderful cycle of the year that just makes so much sense. And I must decrease so that he may increase. Exactly. And that regardless of where you are in the world, like, you know, there'll be all kinds of people celebrating Christmas in, you know, Algeria or LA or Australia. And obviously the sort of the, the European style of Christmas with its fir trees and its snow it's not necessarily applicable and my first memory of a Christmas tree mm-hmm. I'm sure I'd seen them before so I knew what it was yeah but my first like striking memory of one is of a hotel on the coast of Tanzania in Dar es Salaam <laughs> 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 Where they just had this giant Christmas tree in the like main hallway. Yeah, there we go. There you go. But I think it, it does make so much sense to conceptualise this period as like dark and snowy. Absolutely. And you were saying about like laying the ground in, in white so that to kind of start anew with this new era of, of human existence. Yeah, but- that snow in a way, like you've got the cold harshness of it, but also I can't remember where I read this again, but it was about the world dressing herself in virginal white mm-hmm. for the coming of Christ. Yeah. The in a way of preparation, mm-hmm. the world is made like white and fresh and clean um, for Christ to come. And then obviously because that's just the first verse of the, the hymn, it then goes on to talk about this paradox that we've been talking about, how heaven comes down to earth and that, you know, heaven cannot hold him nor earth sustain. But that's... Yeah, that's so powerful actually because you're talking about him having like a breath full of milk, mm-hmm. but earth cannot sustain him. He sustains earth. Yeah, but also that he comes to us at our worst, at the darkest, at the bleakest, that like that's the moment when he comes is when world is most inhospitable in a way and that the whole effort of Christmas is to battle against that sense of darkness and that sense of lack of hospitality and make it the most hospitable time of the year yeah, I always absolutely. I come back to the T.S. Eliot poem where he he does this very cleverly where he t- it's the journey of the magi and he's talking about the wise men coming but he makes it he combines it with like a snow and, you know, wintry feel to it, even though like even our own depictions of Bethlehem are usually not kind of snow covered. But he says, yeah. a cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year for a journey and such a long journey. The ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter and the camel's gold sore footed refractory lying down in the melting snow. There were times we regretted the summer palaces on slopes, the terraces and the silken girls bringing sherbet. That like the ease of life in the summer is what we have to leave and then go into this earth hard as iron. It's such a wonderful time for reflection and I love how beautiful the paradoxes are at at Christmas. Yeah, Christmas is definitely a time of paradox. Which brings us on nicely to my first one, which is also melancholic. One and it's also it's one that I grew up with as a Christmas carol, mm-hmm. but in the Catholic Church it's actually more of a Eucharistic hymn. It's called "Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence," and it's actually I found out a couple of years ago to my great joy and excitement that it's actually based off one of the oldest Eucharistic liturgies. I'll just pull out the reference. Yeah, it's based on one of the ancient liturgies of, I think, the liturgy of St. James that speaks about Christ incarnate both in Bethlehem but also 
in the Eucharist, in the sacrifice of each Mass. And for me, it's such a profound time to meditate on those two together. Yeah. Because of the extreme humility of God becoming man and also then becoming bread. Yes. <laughs> so, as it's not a very well-known one, I'm going to give you the words. Let all mortal flesh keep silence, and with fear and trembling stand. Ponder nothing earthly-minded, for with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descendeth, our full homage to demand. King of kings, yet born of Mary, as of old on earth he stood. Lord of lords in human vesture, in the body and the blood. He will give to all the faithful, his own self the heavenly food. Rank on rank the hosts of heaven, spreads their vanguard on the wing. As the Lord of lords descendeth from the realm of endless day, and the powers of hell shall vanish, as the darkness flees away. At his feet the six-winged seraph, cherubim with sleepless eyes, veil their faces to the presence, as with ceaseless voice they cry, Alleluia, Alleluia. Alleluia, Lord Most High. It's so beautiful. It's not one that I would have known a lot growing up, but yeah, there, there's such a sort of high drama to it in terms of like a spiritual context. Yeah, I love the context of the angels particularly, because I think we see them a lot as like that choir. Um, but here you've got them as this great army escorting the Lord down mm -hmm. um, and that great triumph as well of this is the start of the triumph of God over evil mm -hmm. and yet that starts in its stable yeah or even I mean it starts even earlier with the fiat mm -hmm. but the, this culmination of Christ made man mm -hmm. is here in a stable yeah um, so yeah I just love that juxtaposition and it's also, yeah, it's in, in a melancholy key, so it's very sombre, and yet, yeah, it's got that beautiful grandeur. Yeah, it's quite stately. Yeah, and it's also because it's one that, obviously I said, it was it's been my favorite, one of my favourite carols from a teenager, mm -hmm. so I knew it as celebrating the incarnation. Mm -hmm. And then to become a Catholic and to come to transubstantiation, and then whenever I first heard it as a Eucharistic hymn, to put those together. Um, and it's become one that I love to say during the consecration to myself as a reminder of that great stately presence of God made manifest here and now. And particularly for me, it like juxtaposes that with the holy, holy, holy. Mm. That you've got that, like, that we're caught up to that heavenly liturgy as well. Yeah. And then... That demand for silence, that demand for respect and awe. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. I think it sort of pairs very well with my second choice, which is God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, because we were talking about that sense of like high stakes. And what I love about God Rest You Merry Gentlemen is how dramatic it makes the, the Christmas story. I think I'll read out the, the lyrics to this one as well, just because... Again, it's one of those ones where I feel like the first verse is quite well known, but not necessarily the following ones. Obviously, I'll only say the line from the refrain once. You don't need to hear me say it three, <laughs> three times. 
God rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay, for Jesus Christ our Saviour was born upon this day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray, O tidings of comfort and joy. In Bethlehem in Israel the blessed babe was born and laid within a manger upon this blessed morn, the which his mother Mary did nothing taken in scorn, O tidings of comfort and joy. From God our Heavenly Father a blessed angel came, and unto certain shepherds brought tidings of the same, how that in Bethlehem was born the Son of God by name, O tidings of comfort and joy. Fear not, then said the angel, let nothing you affright, this day is born a saviour of a pure virgin bright, to free all those who trust in him from Satan's power and might, O tidings of comfort and joy. The shepherd at those tidings rejoiced much in mind, and left their flocks a-feeding in tempest, storm, and wind, and went to Bethlehem straightway this blessed babe to find, O tidings of comfort and joy. And when to Bethlehem they came, whereat this infant lay, they found him in a manger, where oxen feed on hay. His mother Mary kneeling, unto the Lord did pray, O tidings of comfort and joy. Now to the Lord sing praises, all you within this place, and with true love and brotherhood each other now embrace. This holy tide of Christmas, all anger should efface, O tidings of comfort and joy. It's so rare to hear the full thing. I know, which is such a shame. That I know. It's, it's so beautiful. And I think, like I was saying, I just find it so appealing because I feel like it's one of the few times you really hear anyone acknowledge Satan as, yeah. as a real force and as someone that we need to be saved from. And I think it, what's so moving to me about it is that, that reassurance that nothing you dismay, that, but in a way that sort of implies that maybe you should feel dismay, that like God is saving us from something, that it's not just that we were getting along merrily on our way and then this is sort of like an added bonus of grace, that we were really in the clutches of evil and that we were rescued from it, you know? Yeah, there's a great sense of that drama there, like the drama of salvation. Yes, and the fact that it, it's this kind of rolling, rhythmic song that's quite upbeat in the sense of being, uh, like having that strong beat to it, but it's in a, in a minor key, so then it, it feels... Um, like even the fact that like the words oh tidings of comfort and joy are sung in this like slightly dissonant way and that it's in this minor key you know that yeah that there's that wonderful sense of that we have been saved from this darkness and, and like you were saying with the host of angels that there's this great drama that that's happening and it's all like beaming down into this one little stable and it's it's so wonderful and I think the fact that like I said it's it sort of implies that this is this is something that we should take great comfort in at the very same time that it's reminding us what's at stake yeah and i think it's interesting because it probably when it was written mm -hmm. it was probably more at a time when people had more regular reminders of what was at stake yeah and now in our like comfortable happy world we need that unsettling reminder mm -hmm. that everything is not okay without god yeah that we have being saved from eternal damnation to mm -hmm. start with but also in this world as well that we have such a great source of comfort in the lord and in the incarnation yeah and that it shows the 
power of carols to teach us about our faith and like that quote that we had from Chesterton earlier which was about how the carols passed down the true message of the faith even when the theologians kind of lost it uh, in one of the articles that I was reading in, in preparation for this I came across a quote in a book called The Ministry of Catechizing which originally appeared in French in 1868 um, and was later translated the famous Bishop Felix Donaloup recalled memories of his first communion and he says we were delighted with the hymns. We sung them with all our heart, and gradually, by the sweetness or the energy of the singing, the thoughts and maxims of the faith were grafted in our souls. To say the truth, it was the life of the catechism. Without the hymns, it would all have been very cold. For me, it was the hymns more than anything which converted me and bound me forever to religion. That's so beautiful. And I think that's why, I mean, like, obviously it's just a great hymn and it's so much fun to sing, but that I find it such a comfort to hear people acknowledge some of the truths of our faith that so often we try to, like, bluster away and, like, oh, in this day and age we don't believe in, in Satan or the devil or hell. Yeah. That it's not just about reassuring you that you're a good person, but that reminding you that there are there are forces other than good that we need to be striving towards Christ to get away from them. Absolutely. That was my number two, God rest you merry gentlemen. Yep. And then on the topic of teaching carols, mm -hmm. I'm going to slightly disobey my instructions and talk about two carols rather than one, but they're very related. And the carol that most people would know from this is We Three Kings, mm. which is obviously first and foremost a teaching carol of the story of the adventure of the three kings coming to Bethlehem and also a teaching story in the gifts and what they mean. It's one that came back to me very profoundly in recent years as well. So you've got gold, frankincense and myrrh and obviously the song goes on to talk about how it's gold to crown him as king, frankincense to honour him as God and myrrh for his death, for his sacrifice. And the last verse is Glorious now, behold him arise, king and God and sacrifice. So that kind of threesome is actually so integral to our faith, that he is the king who makes the sacrifice on behalf of all of us, that he is God and therefore able to make the sacrifice to God. And he is the sacrifice himself, that God is providing, that God is providing the lamb. Yeah. So you've got that really powerful teaching message and linked to the death of Christ which I think is so important at Christmas. I'm reading a book at the moment that has a set of like reflections in Advent and it reflects on Christ coming into the world and taking up the sins of the world as he comes in and then carrying them for his life like carrying that weight mm. knowing every hour that he is going to the cross. The sacrifice of Christ is not just on the cross at Calvary, but his entire life on earth, which I think is such a profound thing for us to meditate on and to incorporate into our own lives. I also love We Three Kings. It, it was certainly, I think when I was a child, it was definitely one of my favourites. But I, I love how even within the kings, you have that sense of paradox. Yeah, and you've got this great adventure that they're following a star. And we could, like, like we were saying of things that you forget at Christmas, you forget how mind-blowing it is that God is born as man, we forget how mind-blowing it is that three really powerful men went, oh, there's a new star, we should go on an epic journey Yeah. <laughs> and follow that star. 
Yeah, and that there's this whole upheaval of all of the expectations. One of the the Christmas gifts that I organized this year, which I have to say was a real pleasure. It was quite it was quite intense. There was a lot of work to do with it, but I collected some of my favorite Christmas readings and had them printed up in a little booklet. It's really, really, really beautiful. <laughs> uh, I'm quite proud of it to pat myself on the back. But one of the readings that I have in it is um, A Letter About Christmas by Ronald Knox, which is sort of a rebuff to someone. He published it in a newspaper, but uh, one of his, I believe his parishioner, came up to him sort of grumbling about how Christmas upsets everything and they just want <laughs> to get back to normal. And he sort of writes this lengthy rebuff of the, the idea that they should be upset about Christmas turning everything topsy-turvy and he says we find no better way of doing honour to Christmas than by turning things upside down everything went wrong from the first all the best places going to the wrong people as it were the ox and the ass nearest to the cradle the shepherds getting in ahead of the kings the kings having to ask their way and asking it of people who never found it, the inn having no room so that it was left for a stable to contain him whom the worlds could not contain, all the arrogant topsy-turvydom, in fact, of the Christmas crib. How it puzzled the wise men when they set out to make a calculation in astrology, to discover what child the strange star was going to influence, and found, at the end of their search, that it was the child who influenced the star. That's incredible. Yeah, and I think that's, like you were saying, why the story of the Three Kings is so appealing is because it's this high adventure and this glamour of the the kings and their gifts. And yeah, it's so beautiful. Yeah, and there's also actually a fascinating hidden reference to Mary in those gifts mm. because those three gifts were last seen presented to Solomon, like in, in scripture. So you're linking back to Solomon and his queen mother Bathsheba, who has like a particular role of in how we understand Mary as the queen mother. Yeah. So then to me it's fascinating that the kings are coming and presenting these gifts to the king in his mother's lap. They're essentially presenting them to the queen. Yeah. To the queen mother to give to her child when he's old enough to take to understand them. Oh, I love it so much. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, and then the other one I was going to talk about related to this is quite an unusual one. It's called Three Kings from Persian Lands Afar. It's far more of a choral piece because it's got two parts. But the reason I know it is because it's my grandmother's favourite carol. And my mom and my sister learnt it for her four years ago or so. So that's kind of where my memory of it comes from. So I'm just going to read you the first and the last verse. Three kings from Persian lands afar, to Jordan follow the pointing star. And this the quest of the travellers three, where the newborn king of the Jews may be. Full royal gifts they bear for the king, gold, incense, myrrh are their offering. Thou child of man, low to Bethlehem, the kings are travelling, travel with them. The star of mercy, the star of grace shall lead thy heart to its resting place. Gold incense myrrh thou canst not bring, offer thy heart to the infant king. I think it's such a powerful reminder also of the journey that we're on to travel with the kings. And also, obviously you've got the either Christ or Mary as the morning star, or Mary's star of the sea, mm -hmm. that, that calling through her to Christ 
Yeah. It's beautiful. And then the reminder of what we're all called to give as well, which I think it appears quite frequently in Christmas carols, but it's still so important Mm -hmm. that we're, I guess, giving all these gifts and like passing them around, but really what we're giving underneath that to everyone and most importantly to Christ is love. Mm, beautiful that actually leads on really well to my final hymn or carol that I've chosen which is Good King Wenceslas which I think is like famous enough I don't think I need to read that one out loud (laughs) Um, but I love Good King Wenceslas it's such a great hymn I think one of the things that's so appealing a bit like uh, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen is just that like strong marching beat to it it does feel like the ideal carol to be singing when you're out tramping the roads going from house to house to sing that it, and you know the fact that it's about walking outside and going on a journey outside yeah and like helping others not just helping like the person they're going to bring the gifts to but also as it's like it tells the page to walk in his footsteps yeah and how we can gain strength strength from walking with others yeah yeah, well, the the thing I was kind of reflecting on is that obviously Good King Wenceslas is one of those few Christmas carols that has nothing to do with the nativity story, essentially, but is is the life of a saint. But what's nice about it is is how it demonstrates what Christmas is supposed to teach us and like the lived reality of being christmas person in the sense of like carrying the message of christmas and i think it's particularly moving because it's the example of a good king and we've got this the christ the king coming and now this example of an an earthly king following in his footsteps and then having that kind of motif of like literally following in the footsteps that's really cool and that beautiful idea of like stepping in your footsteps and having the warmth and, and the reassurance come from that and it's quite funny Phoebe has this wonderful book called Once More with Feelings which is a book of classic hymns and carols um, and it does like a little reflection before each of the carols and I burst out laughing when I read the one for Good King Wenceslas because it sort of points out a strange inconsistency in the story it says nobody has ever understood why Neil the composer of the carol makes Wenceslas feel impelled to take pine logs to a peasant who already lives next to a forest and he goes on to say it's not clear what significance should be ascribed to the footprint in the snow mentioned in the last verse but you know like I said I think that there's such a uh, there's a strong tradition of of receiving graces through the saints and that he was this living saint you know even his physical presence would bring comfort to those around him and is now a venerated saint obviously I've been to his burial place in Prague wonderful I was actually reading when Pope Benedict XVI visited there, he did a sermon about King Wenceslas and he praised him for being a rare ruler who had the courage to prefer the kingdom of heaven to the enticement of worldly power. Incredible. And it's quite funny because the song itself is based on a 13th century Nordic hymn, which is actually about spring. It's it's called The Time is Near for Flowering, Tempus Adest Floridum. But then to transpose that into the middle of winter, in some ways, I think the fact that it doesn't really match up kind of works well for Christmas, but they slow it right down and then you get that like plodding through the snow sense of Good King Wenceslas. I think it's wonderful. And I think, like I said, it's so nice to see the example that Christmas shows us of how to live and that that too can be commemorated in a carol. Yeah, absolutely. I guess mine's kind of similar in a way in that it's while it is on the nativity it is also a like more local setting it's it's called bring a torch Jeanette Isabella 
and it's about this girl in a village being called to run to the stable and she's been called by Mary to come and visit the little baby Jesus and it's got this like wonderful silence woven into it like it's like hush the baby is sleeping yeah and yet she's also been called to run yeah, that combination of speed and quiet. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like you said at the start of the episode where you were saying, it's like we're all rushing to this silent moment. Yeah. Which is so beautiful and so intrinsically Christmas. Yeah, it's um, one of the French carols. And actually, again, like talking to a family reference, I learnt this one with my sister when we were like picking out um, Christmas carols from a hymn book mm-hmm. and teaching them to ourselves. So it's got that kind of like evocative memory of sisters singing it yeah but then like that idea of coming to the cradle of christ is such a powerful one and i think one that we lose very easily Mm -hmm. despite that being what christmas is all about and that sense of community it has in it like uh, christ is here tell the folk of the village exactly that like everyone in this surrounding is all kind of coming to behold the Christ child in, it, in in his cradle. Yeah, I love that it's not, like, it's not set in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. It's that Christ is here for all of us. Mm-hmm. That we're all being called to go. Yeah. Um, but you can't go, oh, it's too far away. It's supposed to be so close that you can grab a torch and run to it. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So those are, I believe those are our three favourite, I say favourite, it's so hard. I'm even thinking the one that's yeah. really, really sticking out in my mind is who doesn't love O Come All You Faithful? I know, it's got everything. It's got like the summons and the triumph and the beautiful death cant. It's beautiful. Oh. Um, and then there's all the other ones, like the personal, like I know um, my godson Gabriel, it always reminds me now of the, the song of the, the angel Gabriel. Yeah. Um, I love that one. I've always loved that one anyway. And or even like the really kind of, like I guess basic ones like Hark the Herald. Yeah, or, or I love um, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. Or um, Once in Royal David City. Oh, great. They're all just so wonderful. You know, you really could kind of pick, pick them out for eternity. <laughs> you could just keep going and going. But I suppose we all better get back to Christmas and celebrating it ourselves and even singing these carols ourselves. Exactly. So we'll, we'll finish it up there. We'll just round off with our usual. What are you enjoying at the moment, Phoebe? Well, I picked two things. The first one I'm enjoying is a present that I got given yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it was appropriate for me to open it because it was in a gift bag, it wasn't wrapped. So I haven't broken any Christmas rules. <laughs> but it was a beautiful miniature animal doll of a Christmas mouse in like a red dress with a red coat that Maria Connolly, who has also been part of this podcast, made for me. And it's just oh, it's such an incredible gift and she's, so beautiful. She's so talented. Um, she made me a, a reaper cheap of the same kind. I think we both almost cried. I genuinely oh. came so close. She's so talented. So yeah, we have these beautiful like Christmas mice, I guess, Yeah. that we, we now have. It's so wonderful. Very great. And then the other one I was at Handel's Messiah mm-hmm. a few days ago, which is just such a beautiful reiteration of the entire story of Christ. And it's amazing how much of it comes from Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's just Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament. And then you've got like little bits of the new, but and then back to the old again. And it just it takes you full through everything. Like it mm-hmm. takes you through birth, death, resurrection, the ascension of Christ, like his glory, and then the church triumphant. Mm-hmm. And I was in, in a concert hall, and we were before I've heard it in a church, and we we're talking about that afterwards. And 
we were talking about like being able to pray it and then we heard someone in front of us talking about praying it as well and looking at the picture of the three of us who went there was a priest behind us <laughs> so it was beautiful to know that even in that like more secular setting mm -hmm. there were so many of us actually there praying it yeah that's beautiful yeah I guess for my one, if I were being incredibly vain, I could actually say this selection of Christmas readings that I've put together. I um, mean, aside from the fact that I haven't had time to look at it yet, I would have said that one. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it was an interesting project that sort of got wildly out of hand as I kept adding more and more to it. But it got there eventually. We, we kept saying and we managed to get it printed in time. But if I shall not name something that I have personally <laughs> at least collected, certainly not wrote, but collected, but... um. I would say last night we watched Klaus, which is the Netflix Christmas animated movie that they came out with this year, which was actually wonderful. It was and so good. Just such a Christmas classic and, and managed to feel very timeless and not necessarily like it was really speaking to anything that's current um, just that it like exists on its own and it's this beautiful story of, it's, it's an offering of what might be a, a Santa Claus origin story. It was yeah. a very Be funny and... and joyful and yeah I really enjoyed it yeah it's just beautiful animation as well mm -hmm. yeah so well done so if you haven't checked that out already I'm sure I feel like we were quite behind by the time that we watched it but if you happen to have not seen it yet I would I would really recommend it absolutely and other than that all that's left is to wish everyone a happy Christmas happy Christmas uh, we're so looking forward to the new year we've got lots of exciting things lined up and but in the meantime Enjoy this Christmas season with your family, in your prayers, in whatever way that you are looking forward to. And we will be praying for all of you. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. This has been Risking Enchantment. Music by Kevin MacLeod. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter with the handle at SeekingWatson. And you can find out more about me and the podcast at rachelsherlock.com. Thank you and God bless.